0: Me Okay. Verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad uh, because he had great wealth. Interesting conversation between Jesus. Um, Do you know, uh, not only does Matthew give the account of this conversation that happened between Jesus and this young man, but also Mark and Luke give the account of this story. But Mark and Luke... Basically, Nearly repeat Matthew In actual fact If you you look Matthew actually wrote a lot of his gospel Because after what Mark wrote Um, But uh, if you look at Mark's uh, uh, The only difference in Mark's account of this story Is that when Jesus When the young man says What do I still lack Uh, It says in the scripture of Mark uh, Chapter 10 It says that Jesus looked at the young man And loved him And then said you know, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor and come and follow me. So Mark, as that little bit, Jesus looked at the young man and loved him. Um, I don't know what the love of Jesus look, looks like, uh, but obviously Mark saw it. One of the disciples saw it and said, oh, he's just loving this young man. So um, so there you go. It's just an interesting point. Keep that in mind, because I want to refer to that as we go on with this, uh, looking at this conversation that's happened. Um, this, uh, this Matthew talks about this young man As a rich young ruler That's the heading If you look in your New King James Version And you'll see the title of this whole story Was called The Rich Young Ruler I don't know where Matthew necessarily got that from But we can see there was some uh, Information there that we can see So three things we know about this young man already He's young okay. So uh, if you're young this morning You can relate to that We're all young in some ways And then it says uh, he's uh, He's rich, it says the first thing he says is rich So as a young man, he's obviously You know, invested well Or he's worked hard or whatever But he's rich, he's wealthy, a great wealth The Bible says, and he's young And then it says he's a ruler And so we know about this young man That he had some type of authority Some kind of position that he owned Maybe he was like the mayor of a city I don't know, maybe he was He had had some position of authority In his community or his region And so You know, he's obviously well respected. He's obviously uh, done a lot of good things in his life and done a lot of things right. Um, But we see in the course of this conversation with Jesus that the young man discovers that while he may have done a lot of things right and kept the commandments, um, and he, you know, he still finds out that uh, he he still says to Jesus, "Where do I lack?" Uh, what do I still lack? And if you were to translate that from into other English words, you'll see that it actually means, where did I fall short? So this young man has come aware that while he's getting some things you know, right, there's some sense that there's something still not happening for him. There's an unrest in his heart, and, and there's something he still hasn't nailed, because... He's a respectable young man. He's the kind of um, young man that maybe the mums and dads are saying, well, that would be good for my daughter to marry him. Or, you know, that kind of guy in the society. Um, but he's finding there's still something that he, he realizes isn't right. Um, uh, up to this point, the young man had picked up, had, had, he says in this scripture... If, if you pick up on this point, the young man says to Jesus, um, which ones of the commandments should I keep? See, Jesus says, this is an interesting point. Because Jesus says, um, keep the commandments. And he says, which ones? Which ones? When, when you think about that, it's, you can start to see some cracks in this young man's character now. Because the truth is, aren't all commandments supposed to be kept? <laughs> it's not like you can choose. It's not like, well, you know, I won't commit adultery, but you know, a little bit of thieving on the side's not an issue. It's not like that, is it? And yet, this young man says to Jesus, "Which ones do I? Which ones should I keep?" And Jesus outlines a majority of them. Um, and as Jesus speaks to him, he comes to understand the reality is, is that Jesus, through probably. Um, Understanding and a word of knowledge in his mind, he knows the young man has great wealth, and he knows that the trouble with this young man is he has a love of money. Not money itself is not the problem, but it's the love of money. And he nails him and he says, "You know, give to the poor. sell so what you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me." And and then it says the young man went away um, sad because he had great wealth. Isn't that a shame that he couldn't go away happy, knowing that yes, I'll do that. But he obviously went away realizing that's going to be different. Difficult to do that. That's going to be. He couldn't see his way free, and I want to just help you to understand that the young man, obviously, that was the difference between freedom and um, and 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 being caught up in something that just had gripped his heart, and he couldn't break free. Obviously, and Jesus nails him. In actual fact, the young man is actually um, breaking the very, first of the very first of the Ten Commandments, which was to have no other gods before me. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, and we see what this young man was doing. He had a god, and his god was money. He'd worshipped, he, that, that was his whole thing in life. And so he'd actually, not knowingly, had broken the very first commandment. And that it putting money as the thing he worshipped and idolized. So interesting, isn't it? How this young man, squeaky clean. But when he speaks to Jesus, some cracks start to, we start to see some realities and some cracks in his, in his life and character. And he went away sad, not able to do what Jesus asked. I say all that today because I want us to understand that the, the world that we live in says something similar. And what it says is, it says this. Everyone has a right To choose their own truth. Everyone has a right to determine what's right and wrong in their life. Because this young man had determined that. He thought, well, you know, um, stealing is not in. I'll keep the commandments. I'll honor my mother and father. I'll not slander anybody. But as for the love of money, ah, no, 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 no. I I choose to keep that one. And that's what sometimes we live in the society. The pressure of this world is always saying, you know, you've got a right to choose what you want to choose. What's right and wrong. You've got a right to, to, to do what you want. You've got every right to do that. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, you can do that. It might hurt you, but you know, don't hurt anybody else. And, and I want to challenge that, that thought today because people, they talk about truth. And they say, well, to come under your truth is just a burden. It actually takes away my freedom, doesn't it? To come under the truth of God's truth, it actually is a burden, isn't it? It, it takes away my freedom. It restricts me. And that's the whole point, but we'll get on to that. Um, uh, When I was younger and I was at school, uh, we used to play a thing called soccer. We still do today. They don't call it soccer. They call it football, which totally confuses me when they say football because I think it's soccer. It's a round ball thing. You with me? So uh, when I used to play soccer, they'd pick the teams and we'd all run around the field. But there always had to be someone who was the goalie. And you all had to take turns to be the goalie because you always wanted to be on the field where the action was. But the goalie used to basically wait and there was not a lot of action until the ball came towards him. And you know, I can remember at times I was the goalie and, and it was a pretty crude kind of game in the sense that, you know, there was no goalpost. It was just two school bags usually or someone's piles of shoes that formed the goalpost. And you'd stand there and you'd be intently, you know, watching because you, you didn't want to be the one who let the goal through Uh, because all the friends and all the mates and your team would bag you out. But you know what? Sometimes you're so intently watching what they do to you is they take the two goalposts or the two bags and they take it three metres to the right. And you're standing there and and you're doing what you think is defending the goalposts and they kick the ball over to the right and well, that's nowhere near. And then you look and everybody's cheering and they've scored the goal. That is annoying (laughs) to say the least. Moving the goalposts, how dare they do that to me? But I want to say, uh, uh, it's exactly what the world does. They continually move the goalposts depending on how they feel, depending on their agenda, or what they want to do. They move the goalposts. Well, no, the goalposts are over here today. You know, all, oh, the goalposts are over. Oh, yeah. and, and, and the world continually feels, well, that's their duty. That's their job. We can do what we want. But the reality is, is that we, we see it, it creates pain and hurt for people when they do that. And instead of, you know, they say things like, well, instead of abstaining from sex before marriage, it's an all free in. Let's go for it. No problem. You know, I'm not just picking on that one. There's a myriad of things I could choose, couldn't there? I mean, abortion, instead of 12 weeks, let's, we can abort a baby up to 12 weeks. Let's make it 20 weeks. How about we just don't abort them at all? But, you know, there's a myriad of things that you could throw at me today and said, we've moved the goalposts. And what we've done is we've moved the goalposts away from God's frame of reference and what he said in concrete, in a sense. And they said, don't move these because if you do, if you break them, you'll break you. And I know that's what I said last week, but I want to enforce that. If you break them, you break you. It's not like God, you're doing God a favor when you do the right thing. It's not like, like you're saying to God, oh, I'm just going to, you know, God, I get brownie points if I do the right thing. No, no, no. You're doing yourself a favor when you do the right thing. Because you cause so much pain to yourself and to others when we continually move the goalpost away from the frame of reference that was God's moral reality and absolute truths and character that he established so that we could live free and not bound by all the pain and hurt that it creates in our lives. See, uh, this verse, John 8, 32, I mentioned it last week, but it says, You shall know the truth, eh? and the truth will set you free. How does that happen? We we're, were singing this song this morning, the last song. Free, free, <laughs> I'm free. You know, um, how does that freedom happen? Well, We want to talk about that. But as we look at this young man who had the truth, we see that he had part truth, but it hadn't set him free. Because he knew still there was something he was lacking. And maybe you're here today and you're sensing, you know, there's things that still lack in my life. Where else and, and where else do I fall short? And the truth was, this young man wasn't satisfied. He was uneasy with life and he knew it. And that's why he came to Jesus in the first place. Because I mean he had ticked all the boxes. He had he had the material wealth. He had the money. He he still had. Um, youth on his side. He was young. And now he has a position of authority and power. I mean, this is the kind of guy. What a great young guy. And yet there was something inside of him saying, I'm not free. And I'm not, and, and I'm not living. There's something I'm still falling short of here. I, um, my, my, my brother-in-law, Laurie, uh, who I have a great relationship with, um, one Christmas he came up, with a, 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 up to Gladstone. He'd bought a, a speedboat. And uh, he wanted to test it he'd never had a boat before he'd never, he'd never uh, driven his boat through uh, the waters of Gladstone. but he said, "You come with me, you know a bit about the waters of Gladstone and so he, we went up the Calliope River now the Calliope River at the, the mouth of it is a massive, quite a large, big river, and it's you know and so he had uh, throttled down, and we just whoosh, but you know, as you go further up the Clyde River, it gets narrower and narrower. If you have ever been up there, and, and you go past the, um, there's a section there called Devil's Elbowing, and then and then we, I'd never, I'd gone past that, but I got to a point now where there was an island in the middle of the Clyde River, and and it was very narrow, on either, well, it was probably about as wide as this isle here, and and I, and Laurie is still like full bore, and I said to Laurie, I looked at him, I said, Laurie. I said, buddy, I haven't been in this section. I I think you need to slow down. I'm not quite sure if there's rocks up here. You know, He looked at me in a jovial way. He wasn't being disrespectful. But he says, don't be stupid. We've got plenty of water under the boat. And that was three seconds before we hit the rock. (laughs) He looked at me and said, you're the captain. (laughs) Thankfully, the hull didn't hit the rock. The propeller hit the rock. We lifted the motor up, you know how you lift the outboard motor up, and the propeller was mangled. Uh, uh, we putted back at, a, at about two knots all the way back to Gladstone Harbour, uh, Gladstone Auckland Creek. I tell you, it was a long trip home, and uh, it, we learned a lesson. But I had to ask myself, why did we hit the rocks? Why well, did we hit the rocks? And uh, the truth is, we're out of touch. Uh, with the truth And the truth was Is that uh, the river Had some surprises for us And we didn't know about it And, and, and we, were, we, we didn't respect the river We were out of touch With the depth of the water Because truth is When we found out the depth We were actually only In half a meter of water When we finally come to abrupt halt that wasn't a lot, of, uh, a lot of water to be under our boat. We, 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 we were out of touch with the, the narrowness of the river itself and the rocks that were under the water. Well, we didn't see the rocks, but we soon felt them. And the reality is we, we, we were out of touch with that. We didn't acknowledge the truth of what the river um, had in store for those who didn't acknowledge what they needed to acknowledge. And we were one of those. So, the, you know, the truth... Would have kept us safe. Knowing that we this part, if, if we'd known where the rocks were, we could have went to certain areas and not other certain areas. We could have enjoyed the day. But as it was, we had to go all the way home, very slow pace and learned a lesson that day. We didn't respect the truth. And, and you know, the modern idea that we have to get rid of, go from get from underneath the truth to be free is quite foolish. Quite foolish and, and, and our living in accordance with the truth um, will only keep us free, but going from out underneath it it doesn't keep us free it we get bound we get bound to the stuff that wants to invade our hearts we don 't think we are at the time it, you know this, the stuff that we do this wrong we don't at, at first it never reveals its true secrets, but you know if you, you know you, you get involved in a, in a process of just stealing stuff, and and you find, oh, I've got to do it a bit more and a bit more. Oh, you get involved in some sexual sin or adultery, you know, and you just find it wants to consume you. And at first it feels good, but it wants to eat you up and consume you. It just wants to take your life and spit you out. And as I said, it's, it's not that God doesn't love you any more than He loves you, but He says, don't do it. Not because He wants you to not do it, but He wants you to not do it because it breaks you. And we need the truth. And that's what this rich young ruler had been good at keeping the commandments but he'd fallen short because of the love of money in his situation anyway and the truth is he'd run aground he was running aground on the rocks of moral reality and those rocks of moral reality were just as, as real and as physically imposing as the rocks that I run into in Kalipe River because God sets in concrete these principles and laws and understandings he says these things don't move them Don't move the goalposts, don't change it, because if you do, it'll hurt you and hurt others. It's the truth. People sometimes don't want the truth. Um, See, I've come to understand that freedom is not an absence of restrictions. Now, restrictions seems like a very negative word to use, but it's the truth, isn't it? Freedom is not the absence of restrictions, it's the presence of Restrictions. In our lives. Example, if you take a fish and throw it out in the land, that fish struggles... go anywhere struggles for life it loses its freedom if you throw it on the land but you take that same fish and you restrict the fish to the water you put it back in the water and guess what its strength returns and it swims away quite happy but it's only in the environment that it was built for and designed for is that that it will have life and life as long as it's alive it'll enjoy life and see it's in God creates an incredible environment that's safe and protective for all of us if we would only stay within the truth and the truth will set us Free, and we'll have strength and be able to enjoy life. But take us and throw us in another environment of maybe things that are not right and not good for us and helpful for us. And you know what? We'll struggle and shrink and be twisted and find real heartache in those places. And that's what Jesus was trying to say to this young man. I want you to be free. Could you just get the love of money out of your heart? And come and follow me. I want to share with you the good news now. I've told you all the bad stuff, but let me share with you the answer, the good news. Because the truth is, we can take the truth, the absolute truths, and the ten, which are the ten commandments, or any biblical principles or truth that you read, um, and um, and they can become a burden. They can become a, 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 they can become something that's hard to do, if all you're doing is just saying. See, because on this side, uh, uh, maybe of the of the spectrum, you've got compromise and just do what I want, move the goalposts. And yet, on the other side of the spectrum, you've got all these good, th- all the things that you're going to tick your boxes and you're going to do all the commandments. You're going to do all of the Bible says. Excuse me, um, you're going to do all the Bible says, and you're going to keep the letter of the law. And no matter what, and you know what, that can become an incredible burden. That can become an incredible weight upon your life because all you're doing is every day got to do the right thing got it okay it's not that you shouldn't do the right thing but there's a way of doing it that brings freedom and not um and not some enslavement let me explain see uh there's a group of people in the bible who jesus always clashed with they'll call the pharisees and the pharisees uh used to take the absolute truths of scripture they used to take the words and they used to actually use them against people to manipulate people and control people and make them conform to certain behaviors. Now there wasn't a lot wrong with what they said about those things that they wanted people to do. It was good to do some, of you know, don't commit adultery. It was good to do all those type of things, um, you know. But the reality was is that they would they would cont- try to manipulate people with the principles and with the, the truths and the rules, and it, and it was just in some ways it was just as bad as if they were people. For the people who were doing whatever they wanted to do. So there had to be some happy medium. Um, we see these Pharisees, it says in Matthew 23, 4, this is what they used to do. It says, For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, and they themselves will not move them with one of their will not move them with one of their fingers. In other words, they won't help. The New Living Translation of the same verse is interesting. It says they crush people with unbearable religious demands. And never lift a finger to, uh, to ease the burden. In other words, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were all about do this, do this, do this, do this, and do that. And when you finish that, I've got another list for you. That in itself becomes a burden and it's a struggle. And the question I ask is, did God ever intend the restrictions and the moral truths to become a burden to us? No. He never, he never wanted that. That's why John shares the truth in John chapter 1 verse 1. Here's here's the way out. Here's the understanding that we need. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who's the Word? Jesus Christ. Here we see, because even from the beginning, the truth was not just a to-do list. It wasn't just a set of do's and don'ts, but it was a living truth that brought life. And that living truth was Jesus Christ himself. It just wasn't a set of principles, if you do this, God's going to be favorable. No, no God loves you already, okay? <laughs> okay, get that in your heart if you can. He, he accepts you right now, whatever state we're in. He wants you. But you know, to, you're not going to get any more brownie points. See, it's, it's not this to-do list. It's just not this to-do list. But it, it wasn't absolute principles, it was the absolute person found in Jesus Christ. So a person that could live and breathe. And, and Jesus had to come along to help us to see He is the Word. In other words, He was there in the beginning with God. He's there now. And He's, he's the word means logos, which means a spoken word. And it, and it wasn't just the spoken word. Jesus actually had to show mankind that very that from the very start of creation, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, he always wanted to, he always wanted to show grace and love and help people, but he had to establish these laws because they they ignored God. And, and then the laws became out of hand and they become a burden to people and now he says come on my plan was always that it wouldn't be a literal principle it would be a living principle in Jesus Christ and in that way when you start to not just tick off the box of things to do but you come into relationship with him because uh, then you'll see the reality it's very doable to love God and to love to be obedient to him without any burden upon us See, the absolute truth was a person to know and a person to love. And that person was Jesus Christ. Now, I said before that what Jesus did with this young man that's referred to in Mark, that isn't referred to in Matthew or Luke. And in Mark, it says that Jesus looked at him and he what? He loved him. And then he said to him, you know, sell your riches, give to the poor and come and follow me. And that's the the very tone and that's the very mode and mood that Jesus has towards us. He looks at us and loves us. Do you remember the woman caught in adultery? The Pharisees wanted her stoned. That's what the law said. That was doing this legalistic thing. She was over here. She's doing some pretty immoral stuff. So where do you go? You know, she's immoral. Should she be stoned? What the Pharisees wanted her dead? Jesus stood in the middle. And after they, then he says, "He without sin, throw the first stone." They all Pharisees all walked away. She's left with Jesus, and he says, "Where are your accusers?" She says, "There's none." He says, "Neither do I. What accuse you?" So there, there is the grace. But then he said to her, "Hey, so you don't, so you don't destroy your life. Don't do it anymore." There's the, there's the truth. But it was out of this incredible grace and love that he shows us. And see, this is the balance of it when we, we understand. Um, if God, if, if all we do over here is just say, God, yes, God, three buckets full, I'll do whatever you want. How hard do you want me to jump? We live under this legalistic, religious demand type of Christianity. It never sets well in your heart. It's just duty, duty, duty. And you know, Jesus and God, the truth is, if it was just God demanding for us to continually be obedient to him. We'd be sacrificing. We'd be living our life and, and it'd be all about us and our surrender and us doing what we had to do. And God doesn't play any part in that. And so it, it really becomes abusive. It really becomes um, entangled. And it, it just, but that's not what God planned. Our God is not like that. Because he, he, he gave this Jesus that actually was living and breathing and was the incarnate of himself that showed us what God's like—that He is, that He is pure in all forms, and that His love for humanity is that—it's not a demand that He puts upon us; it's a love that He gives us. So, that out of the love, not of duty, but of desiring, we'll want to be obedient to Him. I—I've um, been married for a little while, actually. Um, I found out that it was my wedding anniversary yesterday. Who's ever woken up and forgot their wedding anniversary? Um, just three honest people in the uh, four either right, thank you Stephen <laughs> Ruth put your hand up there I um, I got married 33 years ago yesterday and Michelle and I both forgot that yeah and by the way it's Pastor Malcolm's birthday he's 52 uh-huh. <laughs> You're talking about the truth, James. yeah 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 just just but just to go along with me hey just Anyway, so so um, interesting. When I got when I got married, after the honeymoon, I uh, we came back, settled into life here in Glass, and I started to work. I was working at the power station. Michelle was working the schools, and after about a week, um, you know, because I'd would ride my push bike, she'd take the car, and I'd ride back to the you know home every afternoon. I was pretty much clockwork. Um, one afternoon, I was a bit late. I I got caught up with something, and I got home, and Michelle was waiting for me. And as I walked in the door, she says. Where you been? And all of a sudden, I realized, I'm actually married. (laughs) I've actually now got to surrender parts of my agenda and help let her know. And and it wasn't like she was demanding it. (laughs) Michelle's never demanded anything of me. But she was just inquiring because she was concerned. I just didn't know where you were. Were you okay? You know? You're hit by a car, and you're pushed by you. So she was just wondering, and it was the time before mobile phones. So I'm not quite sure how I was ever supposed to tell her where I was. But anyway, um, and it wasn't before phones. We we were um, we were we were we did have phones, but it, I just I couldn't get to it. So I realized that see. I realized, to, as time went on, I realized that my agenda and my wife's agenda, we had to surrender some of our agendas to actually to be a two-way thing and support each other and check our diaries together, and no longer could I just bring five of my mates home an hour before dinner and say, could you feed them, Michelle? It wasn't going to happen. I had to do the right thing and consider her, because she was the one who had to cook the meal, you know, and, 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 and not that I don't now, but anyway. So the reality was is that this love relationship, if it was ever going to work, had to be both of us surrendering our agendas, surrendering and sometimes restricting our activities so that we could show love to the other person. Isn't that what makes a good marriage? Now, I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, I've tried that. And I sacrificed and I surrendered. and I gave and the other person didn't. And so that's why we're not together. And I respect that and understand that. Because if, it's, if that goes on for too long, what happens? It becomes exploitation and abuse, doesn't it? One partner gives, the other never gets anything. But a good marriage relationship is a working together Now we could say, and the same with God, we could say, God, I'm doing all the work here. And that's what this young man was doing. I didn't commit adultery. I'm not, I'm loving my father and mother. No false accusation. I'm doing all this work. I'm doing all these things. It's me surrendering, me giving, me restricting myself to, you know, to make you happy, God. God, you're God. No, what part do you play in this? But as I said, our God's not like that because Jesus Christ is hes the living word. He's the living truth. It's not just on paper. It's not just some, some spoken word. It's a living. It's alive. It's, he came to show us and Jesus Christ went to a cross. He surrendered. He restricted himself. And he, as he gave up himself, they killed him for it. And put him on a cross and murdered so that our sins could be forgiven. And so it's a, there's a two-way thing happening here. He's already surrendered his life for our sakes. And he asks of us, would we do the same so that we could have this loving relationship happening? It's not marriage. It's a relationship between a Savior and the person who needs to be, have salvation. Or the Christian who needs the love of God. Can you see that? Both work together. It's not like God stands afar off and says, the effort's on you. Do all what you got to do. No, no, no. He says, my son has already done all of it. He was restricted. He was, had to surrender and they murdered him for it, for your sake. I love it. See, our relationship with God has got to be like a good marriage where we both work together. He gives. He provides. He cares. He loves. He surrenders. We do the same back. And out of that, it's not a burden then to be obedient to God's truths or live under God's truth. But it's liberating. It's freedom to do that. But when we have no relationship with God, it becomes just another thing we do. And it can become an obligation And it become a duty. And God never intended that. He wants us to live out of freedom. My wife loves me. And I find it a joy to restrict some of the things I have to do. I'm not the perfect husband. We're not a perfect couple by far. But there's a general, hey, I'm willing to surrender. Because I know she loves me and I can love her in return. And I prove that by, by sometimes my restrictions on my life. But you know what? It provides an incredible freedom in our lives. Freedom in our marriage. A freedom to walk. And it's the same with our Heavenly Father. He doesn't stand at a distance and so say, you do the effort. No, He stands right with us through Jesus Christ when He was on earth and now through the Holy Spirit that wants to dwell within us. And He's the living Word in our lives. What a powerful thing it is. One last verse and we're close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. The The New King James Version says this, the love of Christ, just the first bit, all of it's important, but the first bit, the love of Christ compels us, but really, I love the old King James Version in this particular instance, it says the the love of Christ um, constrains us, or restricts us. How does the love of Christ restrict me or constrain me? Because when I'm about to do something that's not right, and my flesh rises up and says, oh, you'll enjoy this, I say, no. Because I have a Savior who loves me, who's proven himself, who's gone there before me. He has been tempted in every way and succeeded and never failed. I'm going to constrain myself. I'm going to stop myself from doing that because of the incredible example and love that Christ has for me. And, and besides that, when I do that, it makes, keeps me healthy and whole. It keeps me out of trouble hurting myself and hurting others. Can you see that the, the love of Christ constrains us and it, it doesn't feel oppressive? It doesn't feel like we've been exploited. The thing that can move us to do the things that we do for God and yet not feel the burden is the love of Christ and his love for humanity. He lost his freedom so that we could have freedom. And that's the thing that constrains us. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he couldn't give up his love for material wealth. He couldn't restrict money to the right place in his heart. How about you today? Not just money, but life. Would you be willing to constrict certain things and say, no more do I need to go there because it's just going to hurt me and hurt others? Am I, am I willing to say, hey, I don't want to walk away sad. Today I want to walk away knowing that I'm going to... See, we're not perfect folks. The reality is that we're far from that. Will we ever get everything perfect this side of heaven? Never. Are you looking at a perfect being? No, you're not. We've all failed. But the the truth is, is that when we come to a God, and we say, God, would you forgive me? And he says, well, through Jesus Christ, I can, because he took the punishment and the penalty for you. And the wonderful thing is, is that I'll never be perfect, but I can look perfect to God, because he sees me through the blood of Christ when I ask for forgiveness. And he says, hey, you're righteous before me, because of what Jesus has done already. And that's amazing. Does that mean I'll never sin? No, no. I'll, I'll probably have some more. No doubt, in the next 24 hours, I'll just say, God, that was the wrong attitude. That was the wrong action. That was, sorry about it. But when we come to him and ask for forgiveness, he says, right, yeah, forgiven." You might say, oh, that God's pretty easy, pretty flippant. No, no, God looks at your heart. He's not tricked by us. We've got to be sincere. And he sees our heart. See, today you can live in the pain of sin and let it continually break you break you down and be and grounded on the rocks of compromise. Or you could live maybe in the misery of trying to keep the rules, which are good to keep, but... Or you could live in the grace of God and know that this Jesus has gone before us and His part that He's played is He's, he's surrendered, He's sacrificed so that we... He would ask of us to do the same and live in truth and restrict ourselves to what we know is good and right, which brings freedom. Could we stand today just to finish? Thank you. I want to just pray a prayer uh, today, um, and the prayer is pretty simple. It's just saying, "God, I just come to you, and I ask for your forgiveness. I accept Jesus, what you've done for me when you died on a cross, so that I might be forgiven if I ask for forgiveness, and that He would ask, and we would ask Him to forgive us, and that we would ask." that God would do something fresh in our lives. And even if we've been Christians for decades and we know today just to need to do something and just come to Him and give again our lives. I want to pray this. I want you to pray, not out loud or anything, but just receive it and accept it and say, this is my prayer. I want to pray that right now. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you today that in this atmosphere, we thank you for your presence, the Holy Spirit. I thank you that you are very real and you want to be very real to each of us. I thank you, Father, that through your Son, Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice was made. That this is just not a one-way thing that we, we do all the good things and you never give us anything. No, Jesus, thank you that you've gone before us and given everything, supplied us. You've sacrificed, you've given so that we can now make the same decision to sacrifice and give back to you our lives. Help us to do that today, to not sit on the fence or... Help us, Lord, if today we're struggling with some compromise and some sin because, Lord, heaven knows every one of us need your strength to say no to temptations and stuff that wants to pull us down and destroy us. Father, please help us if we're on the other side where we're really tired because we're just so burdened by all ticking all the boxes and doing all the right things. Help us to come to the understanding of your grace and love for us and that the written word is now a living word that can live within us and that, Jesus, you're that hope. We need you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if today could do one more last thing before we close. Is if you pray that prayer, could I just I'd just like to acknowledge you and say thank you. If you're here today and just pray that prayer, could you just reveal your hand? That's all anybody say. Thank you very much. I see that hand. Thank you very much. That's wonderful. That's brilliant. Hey church, God loves you, He's got incredible plans and purposes for each one of us. It was great to have you here today, and I, I just pray that you, you'll find freedom. Not, not freedom that I can do what I like. No, freedom, true freedom in our hearts to live under truth and with truth in our lives. Amen. Just one last thing before we sing our last song today. is um, we don't, We're not taking up any offerings over this period of time. Maybe never take your offerings again. I want to just thank you for those who have actually learned of uh, giving online now. That's been much appreciated. It helps, helps our church continue to take the gospel out and to function properly. Um, there is other options today. If you, um, I'd encourage you to go online and, and be able to give you your tithes and offerings. Do that regularly if that's what you're able to do. There's other options. You can give an FPOS today if that's what you have to do. You can also, there's a box back there where you can physically put an offering in. That's fine. You can do that as well. I. I I found like you the rich young ruler, his his whole heart was so consumed by his wealth, unfortunately, that he couldn't follow Jesus. I pray that will not be our testimony. But one thing I find that um, it's blessed to give. Um, you know, the receiver, who you bless and give the money to, would be blessed. But to give, Jesus says, it's blessed to be a giver. And I find that an incredible blessing. And you know what? Because I keep... The love of money in the right context of my life when I give. And I make sure that it's not, you know, it's not, oh, this is so. No, it can become a joy to give. And that's often a sign that I'm not allowing wealth or material things to become number one in my life. Which we can allow sometimes in this very commercial world that we live in. So this this building, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's not the thing that we need to worship. It's Jesus. It's not. It's what happens in here. People's lives change. So money, let's keep it in the right context, hey? So you can give of your tithes and offerings. We'd be blessed by that. We're going to just worship as we go out, as we finish this morning. And I ask the team to come and do that right now, and this last song. It's been great to have you in church this morning. I pray that God will do you well as you open your heart to him continually.